There is a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Into my show tonight. So glad to be here. I want to do my first five tonight to talk about the controversy uh, relating to Nike, the shoe company, choosing Colin Kaepernick as their kind of big feature for their Just Do It current advertising. And I'm going to guess all of you already are familiar with this, but to be clear what they're doing, Nike has their Just Do It slogan. Everybody loves that and the little swoosh. And so they have a campaign starting now. It has a close-up picture of Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick and uh, it says, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. So the symbol, symbolism being, of course, that Colin Kaepernick is the one who started the kneeling in the NFL during the national anthem. When everyone, you know, you all teach your kids, you stand at attention, you hand over your heart. That's how you do the national anthem. He's been kneeling. He began this protest as a, I don't know if he's at that time, the actual quarterback or the backup quarterback, but that was, he started it and it kind of spread throughout the NFL so that teams, many teams had players uh, refusing to stand during the national anthem. And it's been an ongoing controversy for a while. We've talked about it in the show before, but this decision by Nike to choose him as their representative there and, and to characterize his action in standing uh, and, and or in standing up uh, what he says against police brutality and showing that protest by uh, his kneeling has reached a new level. And I just I want to hit a couple of really important, I think, just really important points. Number one, many people do not like that anyone doesn't stand for the national anthem. They don't like, it doesn't matter what skin color you have, where you grew up, how much money you have, people who are American citizens and who, especially those who've served, expect others to stand for the national anthem. It's your right not to. It is definitely a form of protest. It's a form of protected First Amendment speech. They have the right to do this. So, but people resent it. And it's not just because of skin color. They They resent it no matter who does it. But in this particular controversy, as it's gone on, I've had personal interactions. Uh, I've done media interviews. I've done panels where the position taken by those supporting the players is essentially you either agree with this NFL protest or else you're racist. You either agree with not standing for the anthem, or you don't care about police brutality. You don't care about police targeting black people. You don't care about, um, you know, discrimination or racism in our country. And that that is, I think, among the reasons this controversy has become, has, has really escalated is because people don't like being told, you either agree with me or you get this bad label I'm giving you. And I think that's part of the problem and has, as I say, in my own experience, I've, I've heard this and I've seen this argument made online, made on Facebook, but I really, I want to just dig below that a little bit to say, not everyone who supports the protest, not everyone who supports the players is 
you know, anti-American. They don't hate the flag. They're not all accused. They're not accusing every police officer. That is also an unfair characterization floating around beneath the surface. You know, that everyone who dares to support the police, dares to support the players, must not care about the police or accusing all police. There's all sorts of just what I think is really wrong uh, ascribing of motives to the guy who, who sees it the other way. Whether you support the protest, which I do not, I don't think this is a proper way to protest. I will say, as this protest has gone out, I don't think there are any Americans unaware of why this protest is occurring. But what I do think would be the really helpful thing, the moving forward thing, is this. If you if you were a business, if you owned a business and your entire workforce went on strike, walked out, and when you said, Why are you on strike? What is it you want? They said fairness. Or something else you can't measure. You'd say, well, we got to sit down and talk about it. what is it you think we should do? Because, and this is back to the NFL protest, one of the biggest problems. Because there is not a list of demands such as criminal justice reform. We think there should be specific changes made to the federal and, and uh, various state criminal codes. Or we want more funding for police uh, and community interaction and, and, and you know town halls. Or, or just building relationships. We want something. People watching this protest, they might even agree that we have a, that you know the police force isn't perfect. We've had, in my view, occasional wrong conduct, but they don't know how to respond. And in part, that's on the players. That's on them. Because if you just protest without a something you're saying you want. There's no way to respond. There's also, even though the players say, we're not protesting all police, we don't hate America, we're just protesting the bad police, there's no way for anyone to know what their message is, and therefore, no way to move forward to solve it. And I I would love if the Players Association would say, let's put some things together that we advocate, and then we can discuss these items. We think this law should be changed, this practice should be changed, whatever it is. But I'm going to get to my my most important point of this first five. The reason that very little agitation is made about trying to get the players to do that is because the American left thrives on racial division. When they see people angry and hating and divided by race, this helps the left-wing agenda in America. And sadly, that's part of what's going on. I'm Debbie Georges. This is America Can We Talk. We'll be right back. And if you're on Facebook Live, come back in four minutes. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? 
What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with Five Talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. And welcome back. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I'm going to get into the Kavanaugh hearings in just a moment, but I want to spend one more minute about the Kaepernick Nike ad and all the uh, what is flowing out of that. First, I have um, a dear friend who's the mother of three, uh, she and her husband, parents of three young adult uh, black men. I knew, I've known them for years, so I knew them through their teenage years. I am perfectly aware that young men who are black in America always have to have the talk from their parents. They are more concerned about the way that police will treat them, that parents are concerned, that children become concerned. Uh, I am aware that there are instances in which police mistreat uh, or treat in a discriminatory manner uh, black Americans. And I don't think, I mean, basically many, many people know this. I think there is a 
huge discrepancy in how frequently some people believe this occurs. I mean, and I think part of what the protest has caused is people to feel the accusation is, well, this is just all day long, every day of rampant, you know, rampant uh, excessive force, rampant violence, rampant shooting. It's out of control. And it exaggerates what is a serious problem, but in many people's view, not as widespread a problem as you might think from the scope of this protest. However, it's a very sensitive thing and many things don't they don't have measurable characteristics to them. My friend, the mom I was speaking of, I asked her one time what she thought about the protest, and she said, I think people are hurting. And if some people are hurting, you know, why can't we listen? To which I said, but what is their message? Yes, listen, what is their message? Because the answer can't be social justice. That is an immeasurable, vague, obscure concept. You can't say the answer, the goal is, once we've achieved social justice, we'll stop this protest. Because who gets to define that? Who gets to measure it? Who gets to say we're there yet? And those who thrive and benefit from a sustained, divided society, which is the American left, have no interest in having us get there. The left thrives on dividing America and keeping us suspicious, uh, not seeing things eye to eye, mistrusting each other, resenting each other. This is where left-wing power, all that left-wing power is, I'm talking about the radical left in America, the anti-American left, is just pockets of groups, hyphenated groups, all told that they should be suspicious of and dislike other people. And so this protest is frustrating to people who actually want harmony, who want progress, who want to understand how to fix this. It's not enough. It's not sufficient anymore for the protesters to say, we're going to keep on protesting, but we don't have a list of demands. We don't even have a list of items to discuss. We don't have proposals. We just want to disrespect the flag because it does offend people. And one last point in this, Kaya, uh, Chris Kyle's widow, Taya Kyle, put out an article basically saying, you know, this guy, Colin Kaepernick, is the one you're going to say sacrificed sacrificed everything, really? How about, and her example was, how about Pat Tillman, an actual NFL star who gave up his NFL stardom to go in the, in the height of his career to go fight in the military and, and was killed. That would be somebody who sacrificed everything. And so I think, back to Nike, this is Nike making a calculation that they're going to sell more shoes by all the controversy than choosing an actual an indisputable hero. And that's not very, I, I, I don't respect that. I, I just think they've, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I have a dear friend who's, who's a black Republican and, and pretty conservative and he supports a protest and he thinks this is going to drive Nike stock up. I don't know what'll happen, but I do know it doesn't get us anywhere near solutions. It doesn't even start a path towards solutions to just simply take a knee instead of engaging in a dialogue because that's the only way we ever get in place. Okay, I could talk about this for a lot longer, but I want to turn to the Kaepernick hearings. Um, yeah, Kaepernick hearings. How about the Kavanaugh hearings? You know, um, President Trump has nominated um, the um, a justice to serve in the Supreme Court, hopefully starting October 1st. Justice Brett Kavanaugh had hearings this week. Democrats out of their minds, uh, not behaving well. Um, and I want to play first. There was a clip I... I I can't believe I missed this, but the opening of the Kavanaugh hearing actually was a statement. The person introducing him, introducing Kavanaugh to the Senate, was a statement by a woman named Lisa Bloom, who is a 
big time lawyer, big time Dem Hillary Clinton supporting uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Okay, it's true. I'm sorry, he said I said the wrong name. Lisa Black. Sorry about that. Okay. Anyway, we're going <laughs> to. That's my happy board operator helping me out. So let's play that clip right now, please. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and committee members. It is a privilege to appear before you today. My name is Lisa Blatt, and I know Judge Kavanaugh in my capacity as an appellate lawyer here in Washington. I have argued 35 cases before the Supreme Court of the United States, more than any other woman in history. I am also a liberal Democrat and an unapologetic defender of a woman's right to choose. My hero is Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for whom I had the great fortune of serving as a law clerk. I proudly voted for Hillary Clinton. I voted for President Obama twice. And with my apologies, Mr. Chairman, for this one, I wish Senator Feinstein were chairing this committee. <laughs> and yet I am here today to introduce Judge Kavanaugh and urge the Senate to confirm him as the next Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. I've received many angry calls from friends and even strangers for supporting Judge Kavanaugh. But I was raised to call it like I see it, and I don't see the choice before you as difficult. By any objective measure, Judge Kavanaugh is clearly qualified to serve on the Supreme Court. Okay, I just have to say, this is a class act woman. I mean, she went, I, she had long, longer remarks than I played, but she's basically saying, Senate, you know what your job is. You decide that this guy is qualified. And she, who would, and she said at one point, um, she would, she got to some point saying that if the cases before the Supreme Court involved abortion, she wishes that Ruth Bader Ginsburg could have all nine votes. I mean, she's definitely a leftist, but she sees what the purpose of this Senate hearing is and the purpose of the Supreme Court is. And she's telling these senators, you've got to do the right thing. So she introduced some very impressive uh, woman, obviously very accomplished uh, to have argued that many cases before the Supreme Court. By contrast, let me tell you what Kamala Harris tried to pull and, and did not get away with. So during the course of this hearing, when uh, Justice Kavanaugh was being uh, raked over the coals or being interviewed by the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, he, in answer to some question, made reference to a case in which a, a party, the priest, this Catholic priest for life or something like that, had stated their reason for a particular position they were taking. He, Kavanaugh, in the hearing, is reciting what the priest for life said. Kamala Harris, or whoever's working for her, hones down the content of what this of Kavanaugh said to make it sound like Kavanaugh was saying this. And it had to do essentially with life. And she's trying to she she tweeted it out. She tweeted out a link to this edited statement by Kavanaugh with the words that what the words ascribed to him were filling out the form would make them complicit in the provision of the abortion, abortion inducing drugs that they were as a religious matter objected to. So that's what he was describing the priest for life. She, she, he's describing it. She tweets out with the caption, Kavanaugh chooses his words carefully. And this is a dog whistle for going after birth control. She's, this is a woman who wants to be a presidential candidate in 2020. She's trying to tell an ignorant public. She's 
mischaracterizing what Kavanaugh said in the hearing. And on top of that, she's trying to, she is dog whistling to ignorant voters who might think that somehow the Supreme Court will take away the right of women to have birth control. Now, if you mean by birth control, using abortion as a means of birth control, which is not really meant to be, but if that's, you know, it's, it's possible, I suppose, sometime in the future, that could occur. That is within the realm of possible. But this is a woman, Kamala Harris, wants to be a president of this country and is grossly misstating what and misleading the public about what Kavanaugh had to say. You know, I'll tell you a couple other things, you know, on this on this whole thing about the Supreme Court nomination and getting somebody through. The Democrat the Democrats have made this a very, very political hearing. And they do for all the the Republican nominees. They try to get it, well, you know, how are you going to rule on this? They try 75 different ways to make somebody do what they know they're not supposed to do, which is to speculate how they would rule on a case with the facts are not before them. They rang and they they dog whistle and they hint and they try to, you know, and it was very similar to what they did back in the uh, Bork hearings in 1987, where they did succeed in forcing him to withdraw his nomination. Uh, What they tried to do to Justice Clarence Thomas, which I think was like 1991, you know, just rake over the coals. The Democrats will do pretty much anything to take out a Republican nominee. And the reason is because the Democrats have succeeded through the use of the courts to get their left wing agenda foisted on America when that agenda would not pass if it had to go through an elected body. Okay, I'm about out of time here. I want to tell you, changing subjects entirely, but coming up the next segment, we have a, a guy, a great friend joining, a good guy, David McIntosh. He's the president of Club for Growth. He's got some great scoops about the 2018 midterms and particularly uh, Beto, uh, Francis O'Rourke, and Ted Cruz. Come right back. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? 
Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. America, can we talk? I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and I believe we have on the line our guest I mentioned before the break, David McIntosh. Hello, sir. Hey, Debbie. How are you? Very well, thank you. It's nice to hear your voice. I'm going to quickly tell our listeners again, David McIntosh, president of Club for Growth, and they're just a fabulous organization in Washington. I do want to try to get to having you just tell a little bit about Club for Growth. Um, and I also want to mention he is one of the co-founders of the Federalist Society, which for the first time I went to one of your events yesterday. I went to hear Clarence Thomas. Wonderful. He was wonderful. Honestly, he's kind of heart-melting. He's so good. He really uh, was extraordinary, but I digress. So the reason I wanted to talk to you was, David McIntosh, you all get involved in many um, elections around the country. And as a Texan, I don't need any more reasons to vote for Ted Cruz uh, for our next time to be senator and to not vote for um, Francis Beto O'Rourke. Um, but they just have to do with, like, Second Amendment and uh, tax policy and border security. But you guys came up with something I did not know about. And so I'm, that's why I wanted to talk to you. What is this? You have There's a bit of a history, I guess, with Beto on city council in El Paso that I think should bear on how people look at him. So tell us what that is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're all seeing, especially in the social media and Twitter and on Ellen or Ellen, Ellen is K. Uh, <laughs> Whatever her name is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ellen. Um, 
he's becoming a, like the rock star of politics. Um, and by the way, I, I won't digress yet, but let me remind, we'll come back to his rock band. But he, <laughs> <laughs> he, we did a thorough research on him and what he was really like in public life. And basically, the face he's presenting now of being the man of the people, disgusted with the way Washington works, and ready to reform things, people not PACs, that's his slogan. It's all a fraud. It, it's all a made-up act to be cool and to have a chance of getting the Bernie Sanders vote support and money pouring in from around the country. Uh, the truth is, when he was on the city council in El Paso, he was one of the most aggressive city council members for using eminent domain. That's when the government takes property, and you're allowed to do that for a public use. But he used it over and over again to benefit private companies, particularly those that benefited him, Beto. Um, his father-in-law had a REIT that wanted to demolish one of the historic Hispanic neighborhoods in El Paso and build a shopping center. Huge profit to his father-in-law and indirectly to Beto and his family, who were members of the consortium that would have benefited from this. Beto led the effort on the city council to get that eminent domain passed and through. In another case, he, he um, took money from the billionaire Paul Foster um, and then approved an $8 million grant to Foster's company when he was on the city council. So Beto is anything but a man of the people. He, he's a politician through and through. When he came up to Washington and he's been serving in Congress, uh, he decided he was going to benefit from the private offering of Twitter stock before the public could get it. Well, the House Ethics Committee sent a memo around to all the members saying it's unethical to do that. You're taking advantage of your position in public office. It's almost like insider trading. Don't do it. Beto went ahead and did it. When he got caught, he said, oh, sorry, and uh, gave the money back. But that's the way the guy thinks. What's in it for me? And that's the message we're going to take to voters in Texas because so much matters in this election. You know, Ted Cruz is one of my heroes of conservative pro-growth causes. He stood up to say we have to eliminate Obamacare. We shouldn't fund it. He stood up for the tax cuts. He stood up for eliminating wasteful spending. And it's going to become a real battle between far-left, kind of fraudulent guy who says he's a man of the people, but really kind of like Hillary on the take, and Ted Cruz, who's been a true champion of all of the conservative issues. He has just, just uh, you know, it's funny. If you asked, I think, conservatives in every state in America, name the top conservatives in Washington, certainly in the Senate, but even in Washington, Ted Cruz would be on the list. He's just, uh, he, he's, you know, well-informed. He understands the Constitution. He ties the constitutional principles to the ideas we're looking at. He's just a, he's been a, a statesman, 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 yep. can't get it out, but Back to Beto for a second. That particular thing about, and in fact, I saw some of the critics of the plan he was trying to push through on El Paso City Council were calling it the demexicanization of El Paso. They were talking about he was trying to destroy this historic area that was, uh, he would have had the thing gone through, destroyed a, re- a historic area that's largely Mexican-American in which many uh, minorities in America complain about the kind of gentrification happens too fast and people get displaced. And he was all for it. In fact, I counted, I think, three times he voted 
against there were people in city council concerned about this was an inappropriate use of eminent domain. And he was always on the side of permitting the use or, or retaining the right to use eminent domain to just basically make himself and his dad, his father-in-law's family wealthy. That you've nailed it exactly. And nobody knows this story, right? Because what they see are the, the Twitter accounts. They see uh, him saying, oh, we've got to take a knee. Nothing could be more American. His, sort of, his appearing to be very heartfelt for his liberal causes. Um, but reality is when it came down to crunch time, he's really only heartfelt about helping himself and, and his benefactors and his donors. And that Texans need to know that, that you know, we all like and can admire somebody that might be on the other side of a debate or disagree with us in principle, uh, but when they when they fool us, it, it's just something that shouldn't be abided and can't we can't let it happen. So Club for Growth has started an advertising campaign to tell the truth about Beto. I, I always put Beto in parentheses <laughs> or in quotation marks. Uh, because his real name is Robert Francis, right? It, I mean, it tells you something. The guy wants to sound like he's Hispanic and he's Irish-American. Just be who you are and stand up for your ideas, but don't try to fool us. Could not agree more. I know that I always try to say, I didn't realize it was Robert Francis. I'm always calling him Francis at work. And I never heard that story. I mean, I heard this story about Congress saying you can't buy stock on Twitter, cause you have, but I didn't realize Beta went ahead and did it. Oh, yeah. And got caught. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, that story, I hope you're going to do a little uh, story on that out of Club for Growth. Okay, so I want to get to have you tell about Club for Growth, but you mentioned a rock band. What's the rock band story with Beethoven? Well, uh, when he was, uh, I think it was between college and starting a serious job or going into politics, he was a, a member of a rock band. I forget the name of it. I listened to some of the clips, and, and I've, I've kind of gotten into some of the, the current music because my teenage children love it, so I like listening listening to theirs. Um, but believe me, I, I don't recommend anybody spend any time listening to it. It, it was not good music. Not his um, calling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's right. Going into acting is a better better <sighs> way to, for him. Um, but And he liked to wear dresses. I mean, it, it seemed very strange. <sighs> but I, I've seen those pictures. I actually thought someone, I was going to, I saw someone post on Facebook a picture of Beto in a dress with two other people. And I thought, this is Photoshopped and this is really tacky. I was going to send a note to my friend saying, don't do dumb things like this. This is tacky. And it wasn't Photoshopped. He really did do it. I know. You couldn't make this stuff up, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Well, please tell our listeners about Club for Growth. I, I know you've done it before every time you've been on the show, but I'm yeah. just so impressed. So please tell us and about Federalist Society. Absolutely. Um, well, Club for Growth, I, I'm the president of it. We are very engaged in congressional and Senate elections. In fact, we were involved in, I think, six primaries in Texas this year because there were so mm -hmm. many retirements. And our goal is to find real champions, people like Ted Cruz, who will stand up and fight for freedom, fight for limited government, fight for pro-growth economic policies, lower taxes, less regulation, controlling government spending. And we've got members all over the country. Uh, your listeners can join for free. Uh, go on to our website, clubforgrowth, all spelled out, dot O-R-G. And you can sign up. We'll send you notices about these campaigns that our PACs are supporting. And then we do ask you voluntarily, if you like somebody, send in a donation. can be $1, can be 20 can be 100 whatever you feel like doing. And then we bundle those and send a packet right to the campaign. 
I'll tell you, the candidates have told me over and over again, it's nothing like opening the mail and getting that packet from the Club for Growth, because that's the lifeblood of their campaign, those small-dollar contributions that add up and let them get their message out and buy TV and advertise and buy yard signs. And then we also have a super PAC, that like, and this is what we're using for the advertisement about Beto O'Rourke and telling people his real record, um, that people donate to as well. And then we put together those ads in our name and take them out and tell the public uh, what we see as the real important issues in the campaign. Um, I, my view is I'm, my job now as head of the club is to try to help recruit and nurture mentor and elect a new generation of leaders, people who believe in our Constitution, believe in freedom, and are willing to fight for it. Love it. David McIntosh, Club for Growth, love talking with you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Oh, thank you. It's a blessing, and thank you. Let me urge all your listeners, be sure and vote. You know, Republicans are 4% less likely to vote than Democrats this time. We'll get them out. Thank David McIntosh. Thank. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org. 
and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether in Forming the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Welcome back. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George S. Love having David McIntosh on. Sorry we had to cut him short. Or, 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 you know, I have real firm breaks here, so I um, can't control them like um, I guess other shows can. But in any case, love having him on. And they're so good. I want to mention one thing about Club for Growth. They really are dedicated to finding people to serve in the Congress or the Senate who will vote for policies that promote economic growth. And if you're still in the mindset, especially my lady listeners, if you're still in the mindset thinking, well, I vote for people, not businesses, recognize when we have economic growth, when we have businesses growing and they can hire people, that means people have money. They have income. They have ability to take care of their families. They have the ability to put food on the table and to do all the things that families need to do to take care of their economic growth is about people. And Club for Growth in particular is impressive because they, I actually um, have a friend who ran for Congress and um, she, and they, and Club for Growth, she went and had an interview with them. You know, they interview everyone there contemplating, supporting, uh, you know, financially for these seats. And I'm telling you, you can't just go there and say, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm conservative, trust me. They are serious, substantive thinkers. They put out policy papers. They help people understand policy. They help candidates, and they really are looking for candidates who are going to be tough enough to, because they understand the principles, they won't get duped when they get into the House or the Senate by the happy left-wing, uh, freewheeling, uh, come on, can't we just all love each other and spend more money? thinking. They really are trying to find people and dedicate to the ideas of actual fiscal conservatism and actual economic growth. So love them. Appreciate them. Okay. I want to turn though, and I think on faith, if you're listening on Facebook live, first of all, thank you for listening on Facebook live and do know that during this show, at the end of each segment, when we go to commercial break, we cut the video off. We come back in four minutes. This is just the end of the first hour right, right now. And, um, 
So at the end of this segment, come back another eight minutes, and we're on again for a whole other hour. And and also thank you so very much to our listeners um, here in Dallas and 6:60 a.m. I appreciate 6:60 a.m. so very much. Greg Lindemood, my fab, fab, fabulous, waving to me, fabulous, happy, and very very helpful uh, board operator um, who helped me when I did the show from California over the last four weeks. We went out to California. Honestly, it was a working vacation, but we were out there. Also, want to just say hello to our listeners in Colorado Springs. AM 1460 and FM 11.1, The Answer. Love talking with you. And my last thing I'll say is I want to take the moment now to thank our sponsor for the show. The sponsor for America Can We Talk is C, excuse me, GC Works. It's a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Could not do the show without them. So very grateful for GC Works. Okay. I want to turn, though, right now, talk in this precious two hours I get every week to talk to everyone, talk to all of you, um, about the uh, what I see is a very coordinated onslaught. Uh, now that we're at the end of summer, we're past Labor Day, we are into the fall season, when midterms will be here in early November. By midterms, I mean the elections that will reelect or elect someone new for all the U.S. House seats, about one-third of the Senate seats, many, many state races. I use the expression, the label for, it's like a left-wing lynch mob, the media lynch mob. We had, in the course of this past week, we had the Kavanaugh hearing with the Democrats just out of control in the Senate. You realize they had 40, 40, over 40 people arrested for their behavior during the Kavanaugh hearing. I'm not talking about senators. I'm talking about the people that those senators invited to come to the hearing. Those people weren't just like, didn't wander randomly off the street. These are people that the Democrats invited and behaved so badly, disrupting, screaming, yelling, got taken out, over 40 arrested. So the Kavanaugh hearing is a big spectacle, and you have all these meltdown, ridiculous statements about, you know, they're going to take away the right of birth control, and, you know, we'll be, we'll be starving in the streets if he wins. I mean, just, just silly level things coming out of the Democrats' mouths. But well, the other two things that happened, I'm going to hit the Obama speech next hour because that deserves a whole segment on its own. I cannot wait. But right now I want to hit the two things, the New York Times editorial, which was a mystery writer, you know, an anonymous source, but someone who got published, got permission from the New York Times editorial board and got published an alleged member of the Trump administration, someone in the administration writing, essentially saying, I'm a never Trumper. I'm in here in secret inside the Trump administration, essentially trying to take him down. Or listen to this one quote that was in this editorial, the dilemma. This is from this editorial, the dilemma, which he, Trump, does not fully grasp is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. Okay, number one, why isn't that, you know, a coup? Why isn't that overthrowing the government? You're working in the administration as a fraud, as a spy, trying to unseat the, at least the agenda of this president. So, number one, it was timed to attack Trump, to make Trump look bad, to make people in America think, my gosh, even someone inside the administration and they're trying to bring him down? They sound just like the Democrats. Maybe the Democrats are right. I mean, look at this is a person inside the Trump administration. So, you know, the New York Times 
no, you know, conscience at all about it, runs, you know, and they claim they know who it was. The, the New York Times published something uh, called How the Anonymous Op-Ed Came to Be because they got so many complaints about it, and they answered questions. And among the many answers they gave were, yeah, we know who it is. You know, we someone else reached out to us, but we know who it is, and we believe them to be credible. And uh, there's no way in the planet Earth we're ever going to divulge who it is. So they are going to – this t- this cowardly person is staying inside the Trump administration, if they really exist, first of all, but assuming they exist, and there's not just an intern who's, you know, going back to college next week or something, you know, assuming it's a real person, this is a cowardly and a truly evil, vicious attack on not just Trump, but they're acknowledging they're trying to stop his agenda, which is what Trump got elected to do. So they're really undermining the American people. So this is one attack on Trump. I mean, there's just a um, a whole host of reasons that people should be suspicious and actually angry. And I don't know. I mean, Trump is obviously trying to figure out if there's a real person, who it is, what they do about it. Obviously, should be fired on the spot. Nikki Haley, the unbelievably wonderful U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, had a great, great, great speech this week where she basically said, for crying out loud. I mean, she really did. You know, she did. She made many of the great points. All of these, by the way, the commentary that Nikki Haley offered, what I'm saying, the articles I'm talking about are on our website, americacanwetalk.org. We're doing We're going through an updating of that website. So it's going to be even cooler in a few weeks, but it's still all there. americacanwetalk.org. Read those things. Nikki Haley had great comments. But the other kind of so this is, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings, and then you have this New York Times mystery editorial, and then you have the Bob Woodward book coming out. And again, and then the other thing was the Obama speech, which I'm going to give it its own segment next hour. But on the Bob Woodward book, first of all, just because perhaps he engaged in intelligent journalism decades ago does not mean he is entitled to the assumption of credibility at this point in his left-wing life. It just, he does not get the, oh my gosh, but he's Bob Woodward of Woodward and Bernstein. He must be, he, he, I mean, it must be true. So he wrote, he has his book coming out, timed to be, come out actually on September 11th is the actual release. New York Times ran some earlier things this week. The book is called Fear, colon, Trump in the White House. It includes alleged interviews of various people in the White House saying, of course, that it's chaotic, it's crazy, Trump is crazy. No, I mean, just, just painting a picture that is designed to instill fear in the hearts of Americans. It's designed to make you think, gee, this guy might really be just as crazy as the Democrats say he is. And, you know, maybe we ought to think about giving the Democrats the majority in the House. Maybe they can rein him in. This is all targeting the midterm elections, as is Obama's speech we'll get to. But on the Woodward book, just to be clear, Defense Secretary James Mattis uh, featured in the book saying all sorts of things, quoted the New York Times saying, has issued a blistering denial. Just, you know, that didn't happen. I didn't say that. That never occurred. I mean, a a very, a very firm denial. Defense Secretary James Mattis has done that. Um, And he's also denying things that were attributed to him previously. And he said, no, that still didn't happen. Still didn't happen. Okay. White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, same thing, saying that didn't happen. I didn't say this. And so there are people inside the White House saying, we didn't say these things. 
And, and so we don't want to be quoted that way. But the one I want to particularly talk about in the only two minutes that I have here was there is a characterization that the White House counsel, John Dowd, sat President Trump down and did a practice, a pretend, what if you had to sit down with Mueller and have a deposition? And how would you answer this? And, and how would we go this? What would we handle this? And what would you say about this? It was... and. and to be clear, as my background as a lawyer, my other life in California, when I did litigation, you do prepare witnesses. This is not a oh my gosh, what is this? This uh, a signal of some you know, real duplicity that you prepare a witness. Of course, you prepare witnesses. You think of the most obnoxious question the other side is going to ask, and then you think, help them think through, not lie, but help them think through the sequence of what they'd say, how they'd answer it, what matters in their answer. I mean, so if it had happened, it would not be a sinister sign. But John Dowd said, never happened. We didn't even do that. This whole picture of sitting Trump down and allegedly going through, well, what if they say this? He says, did not happen. And so all the statements attributed to Trump in the book coming allegedly from John Dowd did not happen. Now, I'm going to tell you, folks, I'm not saying that inside the White House, I've never been in Trump's White House. I'm not saying inside the White House, everything is perfect. It is a, it is a, this is a disruptor of a president. This is a president who ran against the incumbent establishment of the Democrat Party, the Republican Party, the, the uh, media establishment, the Hollywood liberals, the uh, Wall Street people. This is a candidate who ran for president pretty much as the American people behind me, and I'm standing up to most of power in Washington. So there's a lot of disruption happening in, in the White House, I'm sure. But the idea that Trump is not on top of things, doesn't know what really is, is really happening, this, folks, is belongs in the fake news category. I'm Debbie George Addis. This is America Can We Talk on Facebook. Come back in eight minutes. Come back at the top of the hour. Lots more to come.